This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. In Metro Seeks Atlanta. to be defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, good morning, Icon Community Church. I'm Pastor Stephanie O'Brien, lead pastor at Mill City Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I offer you a warm, but also not so warm welcome from uh, Minneapolis. Would love to say hello, but it's already freezing here. Um, I am so grateful to be with you all here this morning through this medium, but I would love to meet you someday in real life, IRL, as they say. And so I do hope someday to come meet all of you. Um, Absolutely love many people from your community, of course, uh, Jen and Latasha and Amina, some of my friends that I, I hope to come in real life and many others of you someday to see you in real life, but this will have to do for now. Today, I want to start out with a, a story. So when I uh, was in my early 20s, now this is very important that you recognize and remember that this was my early 20s. And if any of you are in your early 20s still, pay attention to this story. I thought it would be a good idea to take a road trip from Minnesota and cut all the way through to the East Coast because I looked at the map and I thought, wow, look at how close all these cities are to each other. You know, you've got Boston and DC and, and New York and, and and we should drive over there and then go through all the cities. So we drove, we did this, okay? We drove through the Midwest, up the coast, DC, New York, Boston, up to Maine. And then we drove back through like Niagara Falls, stopped in Toronto for like two seconds and then kept driving back through the Midwest and got back to Minnesota. And we did all of this in eight days that is not enough time to make that drive in a way that is sustainable and healthy. Um, but we did make it back <laughs> mostly in one piece. Now the minivan, I drove a minivan back then. It 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 came back in one piece, but the brakes were shot because we Midwestern girls had no idea how to drive through the mountains. And so we we ruined the brakes on the van, but that was the worst thing that happened. But but what I, I want you to remember is, and, and maybe once again, if you're in early 20s something now, you may not know this, but when I was in my early 20s, our cell phones did not provide GPS in the same way that they do now. And so what you needed to do if you were going to take a road trip like that is you needed to go to AAA and you needed to get a a triptych, they called it. And it was like reams of paper, like printed pieces of paper, this big, thick book that had turn by turn by turn to tell you how to get through this road trip. So we had this big, thick triptych in paper that, that we took to help us get make this road trip to make it all the way back to Minnesota. And I checked with AAA.com and they still do offer these triptychs if you want one printed out on paper, but they also have an app. Not shocking. So this story is going to come up in our conversation that I want us to have today. But perhaps like me, you have been with people in your life, and maybe you are one of these people, who have been asking an important question in this day and age. And that is the question, why church? Some have said this is almost like a why church moment. Why would you be a part of like the church, big C? Uh, Sometimes that's what I use, like big C, like the global church. Why would you be a part of a local church like Icon or Mill City? Because it's no secret that some people are seeing the church at best as irrelevant and at, at worst divisive or sometimes even toxic in the world. And perhaps we can see why. But I have to say this, I I do believe that when empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that's an important point, when empowered by the Holy Spirit, we together as the church are people who are able to be people of hope, bringing people hope in Jesus, to be people of belonging, 
where people can find belonging and community and family and to be people of purpose, offering a sense of mission and joining in what God's doing in the world. When the church is at its best, it's a community of hope and belonging and mission and purpose. But how do we move forward in the midst of a, of a why church moment when it, the truth is that some churches locally are, are toxic and are creating this type of hurtful atmosphere? We all know the stories. How do we move forward in the midst of a time when people are asking questions like, why church? I believe that the church can be this vehicle for hope and purpose and belonging. But if it is, then it's going to be good news to the world, right? Not bad news. But I believe that there's only really one way that the church can truly be good news to the world. And that is if the church is led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we want to be good news in a world that is asking why church, then we have to be a church that is led by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Mill City Church, Icon Community Church, the church, empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. And if the church is led by the Holy Spirit, then we get to join God in being good news, in bringing good news, in living good news into the world that God loves. To be people of love and hope and restoration and truth and mercy and justice and restoration in this world, right? How do we together, as communities, local communities, how do we listen and respond to God so that we can be a church that is led by the Spirit to be good news people, gospel people in the world? This is what I want to talk about today. I want to look at the story of the early church in the book of Acts. They were people who were trying to figure out how to follow the Holy Spirit, just like we're trying to do, right? Trying to figure out how they could live into God's mission and what God was doing in that time to bring love and restoration, to be good news people in the spaces that God was calling them. And although it's tempting to think that they may have had some sort of special triptych, <laughs> like the one that that I had on my crazy Northeast road trip, uh, they, I, they didn't, right? They did not have a triptych or a GPS to tell them exactly where to go and which turns to make. They didn't have that roadmap any more than we do now when it comes to following God in our life. It's challenging to listen to God and to follow the Holy Spirit in our lives, isn't it? How many of you have had to make a hard decision in this last season? It's challenging to know how God is leading us individually, right? It's challenging to know how God is leading us as local church communities. And, and I can see why we get confused because, you know, in the back of most Bibles, I remember when I was a kid, I'd get like a little bit bored during the sermon whoops, and I would turn to the back of my Bible and I'd look at all these maps. And I remember there being uh, different maps and one of them was a map of Paul's missionary journeys, it said, right? And, and this basically is the map of, of Paul, but, but also the other, the, the beginning of the early church, right? And I would trace the little lines on the map. And so it's no wonder that when I grew up, <laughs> being a kid that traced those maps all the time, I grew up thinking that at some point, God was going to give me my map. Someday God's gonna give me my map with its predetermined lines on it. And then I would just have to figure out how to follow the lines on the journey, journey by journey through my life, right? Well, that sounds great. Perhaps God can lead us uh, in, in many different ways, but the reality is it's not going to be with a map. It's not going to be with a map like the one that was written in the back of Acts because those were maps that were drawn after the fact, Right? <laughs> Those were drawn after we know the story in Acts and we see through Paul's letters. 
And so following the, the stories of the Holy Spirit leading the early church, we recognize that, that they did not have the same picture as that nice, clean picture that we see after the fact. They, they probably would rather have a map, but God gave them the Holy Spirit as a guide. And God has given us the Holy Spirit as a guide. And so today I want to look at an example in the book of Acts of, of how Paul and others in the early church tried to follow the Holy Spirit to give us just a more realistic picture of what it looks like to try to do this together. But this is a critical aspect of this question, I think. Why church? Because if the church is intentionally following the lead of the Holy Spirit, then the church will be good news to the world around them. That, that's kind of my main point today. Why church? Because the church intentionally following the lead of the Holy Spirit will be good news to the world around them. So we're going to look at Acts 16. If you have a Bible, you can pull that up. Uh, this is a good question. How does a local church like yours, like mine, how do we as families, as individuals, as, as groups of families on mission, how do we figure out how to be in step with the Spirit? Let's look at the story in chapter 16, where we see this group of people trying to intentionally follow the Holy Spirit. And let's just see what we can learn. So Acts, um, we often refer to this as Acts of the Apostles. I like to think of it as Acts of the Holy Spirit, because the apostles and the rest of the leaders, these women and men, they were just trying to keep up with what the Holy Spirit was doing. Am I right? And so when we follow the story, you can see exactly what I mean by that. And so listen to what happens. I'm going to start in Acts 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Binthia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Okay, this is just weird, right? They came to the border and it says that the Holy Spirit would not allow them in Asia, but then the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go into Mysia and Troas, so they passed by. And then it says, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, so let's just stop there. We see that this group is having trouble discerning where to go, obviously. They traveled through the province of Asia. It says that the text says that the Holy Spirit prevented them from performing ministry. I mean, what exactly does that mean? How did the Holy Spirit prevent them? And then it says they traveled at least 100 miles only to find out that they couldn't really set out to do what they had to do. I mean, that's how many miles. You maybe can't tell by just reading it. But if you look at the map that was written later, what we know is that it was like hundreds of miles. Can you imagine? Maybe you have felt like that in your life personally. I know I have. I mean, I've never had to travel 100 miles to find out I was in the wrong destination physically. But there's been times when I thought I was following what God was doing to find out that I felt like I went 100 miles out of the, out of the way and I ended up not where God wanted me to be. So they came to the border of the province of Asia where it meets the province of Binthia. And since they couldn't do anything in Asia, they figured over maybe they would go into Binthia to continue their work. And nope, scripture says the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now, I wish there was more explanation here. Do you maybe wonder if there was more explanation? I mean, what exactly happened here? How did they have like just like a feeling or a sense of unease or a lack of peace? Is that what they mean by the spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them cross? Or did Jesus pull like a princess Leia and appear by hologram in the road and say, I will not allow you to cross? I mean, we don't know. It doesn't exactly tell us in the text. So I choose to imagine the Star Wars hologram, obviously. You can choose what you want to choose. God led them, not by telling them what to do, but rather by telling them what not to do. And that's sometimes frustrating in our life, isn't it? 
But notice that they didn't seem to sit down and pout because a door, proverbial door, was closed. And no offense to the cliche, but it does not seem that there was any windows being opened either. They just kept going, traveling another 100 miles from the border of Asia and Binthia, and they finally made it to a city called Troas, a port on the coast of the Aegean Sea. Finally that night, they received this sign from God that seemed to suggest what God's will for them to actually do and not just not do was. I just think this resonates with me so deeply. I've, you know, like I said, I've never traveled by foot or caravan 200 miles with nothing but closed doors, but I have experienced what feels like doors closing in my face. Opportunities that seemed good that just fell away. Maybe things were just completely shut down. Most of us experienced something like that in the last 18 months. And I, you know, I've never seen a hologram of Jesus or Princess Leia or Obi-Wan Kenobi for that point. But, you know, I don't know. That's not how Jesus has spoken to me, telling me what to do or what not to do. But I have felt like there's been times when I've gone for days and then it just felt like so obvious that this is not where God wanted me to be. So Paul has this dream that this man from this region across the sea in Macedonia was asking for help, right? Help, Paul of Tarsus, you're our only hope. Sorry, I... I couldn't resist that one. And so he woke up in the middle of, of the night and tells everybody, we got to wake up, we got to go. And they, they leave at once, it says, across the sea to Macedonia. Now, it might seem rude to wake up the whole crew in the middle of the night to leave in a rush. But maybe after that many miles, hundreds of miles of dead ends, maybe I would have done the same thing. I would have said like, let's just go. We're not going to wait any longer. We got to get going. And so they get across the sea, but no one is waiting there to help them. You know, there is not the hologram or <laughs> you're my only hope. Like that's not actually happening like the vision that they said. And so they did something that they, and it's really important to, to see this in the text. They did something that they would often do and they found a place to pray. Those of us who don't come from like religious traditions or backgrounds that instruct us to pray at specific times during each day, and that's not how I grew up, for instance. Um, we might assume like if you had like specific times to pray, that that might become a little rote or stiff and your relationship with God would feel kind of like performed or something like that. I can understand like how people might perceive that, that sometimes strict prayer rituals could be inauthentic or something like that. And, and you could go days without feeling like you're hearing anything. But I just want to challenge that a little bit because the Jews and the early Christians that we read about in Acts, as for, I mean, similar to, to many devout religious people today, they scheduled their prayer times. And, and, and it's, Oftentimes in the book of Acts that during those prayer times that it does seem like God leads them. Not always though, right? And I'm pretty sure that more often than not, when Paul and the others practiced their daily prayers, nothing supernatural happened. But on this day, as you'll see in the story, when they stopped and they took time to pray, it led them to meet some unexpected people in an unexpected place. Check out what happens when they get this further on the road trip and uh, they're on the boat and they get to this place where they are trying to see if this is where the vision that Paul had will come true, starting um, in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So, so Paul and his friends went to a river outside the city gate in Philippi 
to what they had heard was a place of prayer. And a group of women were there, likely because they were looking for a place of prayer. Once again, how many times had they gone these places and nothing had happened? But here in this moment, they meet and they begin to talk to Lydia about Jesus. Now, Lydia was likely a successful businesswoman. Um, as we see here, dealer in purple cloth, which means that she was a probably wealthy dealer in, in high-end clothes. And it says that God opened Lydia's heart and she and her whole household were baptized. Now, let's make sure we understand what we mean by household here. In the ancient Near East, where Paul and Lydia were situated in this moment in history, a household or oikos in the Greek here, like the yogurt, oikos means family or household. A household then is not what we would imagine a household to be today. Because when we think about it in, at least in predominant cultures here in the United States, we think of like a nuclear family, maybe an extended family, right? That's a household, uh, maybe a renter or two. But in this setting, when you hear oikos or household, we hear this in Lydia's story, we hear this um, Cornelius and his whole household, right? This is more than just people who are related to each other. It often included people who are related to each other, but it's actually more of like an economic system where the people who worked for Lydia, many of them, they might've been living there on this kind of compound almost. And uh, many of these people were, there's multiple dwellings that they're living in, right? So, so this was a significant group of people. This was not like, uh, you know, a little tiny nuclear family or even an extended family. This household was almost this economic system surrounding this, this dealing of purple cloth, which meant that they were a more elite part of society. And here they were becoming Jesus followers. So the man from Macedonia in Paul's dream ended up being a woman in the fashion industry. Now, I'm not sure why God didn't just give Paul a dream about Lydia so that when he got there, he would say, oh, that was the person in my dream. But I do have a hunch. I have a hunch that if Paul tried to wake up his buddies in the middle of the night and say, okay, we got to start packing. I had a dream about a rich lady across the sea in the fashion industry beckoning for us to come help her. I feel like they would have maybe been like, oh yeah, and kind of rolled their eyes and been like, look, Paul, okay, you're having dreams about women. Look, that thank you for sharing, but we're going to need to go back to sleep because that's not necessarily from God, buddy. You just see what I'm saying? Like contextually, <laughs> that context, I think it could have been considered pretty weird. And so, so what God was doing was giving a picture that would help them move, even though it wasn't the exact picture of what was going to happen. And I think that's so interesting and how that can often apply to us in our lives. It's a picture that's different than the one that maybe God had given us. But it doesn't mean we're not where we're supposed to be in the end. My friend Joe Saxon talks about how Lydia is the gateway for the gospel's journey into Europe because Lydia is the first Jesus follower in the European region. The church that started in Philippi kind of out of her home or, or her compound, right? It flourished. I mean, she's a church planter. And it's easy to see how Lydia's resources and her partnership were critical in this new and young church's success and then the spread of Christianity throughout Europe from there. In the end, many men from Macedonia were helped through the ministry that Lydia and her folks started. So perhaps the vision wasn't completely incorrect. It just wasn't complete. Paul could have easily missed what God was doing right in front of him if he had been too fixated on the specific vision. Do we get too fixated sometimes on the vision that we think that God's given us where we might not recognize that it's, it's true and, and it's a real vision, but we actually need to see that it's not complete? Paul and his, his group of people had, had come, become familiar with what I want to call discernment through movement. Discernment through movement. 
and they didn't hear anything from God, they kept moving. And when they saw what seemed like God, they made a move towards it with their eyes wide open along the way, knowing that God's spirit was constantly moving one day at a time. Now, this has been just like a key way of thinking about following the spirit for me and my church for these last 13 years since we started. In fact, I wrote a book called Make a Move, How to Stop Wavering and Make Decisions in a Disorienting World. Make a Move, How to Stop how to stop wavering and make decisions in a disorienting world. And this is what the book is about. How do we follow the spirit together? It's one thing to say a pros and cons list for making decisions, but how do we follow the spirit together? Because you don't really see a pros and cons list in this story or really throughout the book of Acts, to be honest. So when we listen to God, how do we do this? When we don't hear anything from God, what do we do? (laughs) When we hit a dead end, what do we do? This is what this is all about. I think there's like three things I want to pull out from this story that we can learn. When we, you know, the way we exist in the world today, 2,000 years later, it's a different context. It's a different reality. But we have the same Holy Spirit who is leading and guiding us as we move day by day through the things that God is calling us to do as individuals, as communities, and as churches. So here's just three things, okay? First, I think what we see is that we have to accept that there isn't a roadmap and we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Accept that there isn't a roadmap and we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We have to accept that there is no map in the back of our Bibles for us. Any more than there was for Paul, the map was drawn later and someday someone can draw a map of your life and where you go, but not until it's already happened. There's an acceptance I think we have to have there. Are we willing to to come to to Jesus and say, okay, I accept that you're not going to give me a map? Because what happens if we were to have that map? It would mean that the relationship with Jesus would go away, right? And we wouldn't need that empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the same way if we already knew the roadmap. So we have to accept that there isn't a roadmap and we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit will get your attention at expected and unexpected times. I think we see in the story and we learn that the Holy Spirit will get your attention at expected and unexpected times. Kind of like if you're paying attention, right? The Holy Spirit will interrupt at the most unexpected times, like when Paul had this vision in the middle of the night. At the same time, the Spirit gets our attention when we're showing up for the very purpose of communing with God. Lydia was at a place of prayer. Paul was looking for a place of prayer. As I mentioned, I think that this is something we should consider, that it's not about having a rote prayer life that just feels stiff, but are we figuring out our consistent spaces where we meet and commune with God and pray and listen? Because even if it can seem eventful, uneventful, I mean, for day after day after day, what happens when there's a moment where God actually wants to do something life-changing? How many times had Lydia gone to a place of prayer? It says she was a God-fearer. How many times had she chosen to show up to pray and nothing happened? But then this time, something so significant happens that we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. So there's both this expected space and unexpected space. In my church community, we try to figure out how to have expected spaces as a group where we get together and we listen and we talk and we write down what people are saying because we believe that God is speaking to all of us, not just to the pastors or even just to the board members, the leaders, the, 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 the elders. How do we listen to what God is saying through all of us? But then there's unexpected times where people will, I mean, there's so many things that we've decided to do as a church that came from somebody sending an email saying, hey, I had this dream last night and I don't know if it's from God. Or I was doing this prayer walk and you know, all of a sudden 
I, you know, nothing had ever happened in the prayer walk before. I just had been normal. But this time something stuck out to me that was like, whoa. And, and unexpected times where a conversation that somebody wasn't planning on having, and then they say, hey, I feel like this might have to do with where God's taking our church. God can communicate and, and can talk to us in all these different spaces. The Holy Spirit will get your attention at both expected and unexpected times. And here's one thing I want to point out. How often have you heard, or maybe you've said this, the phrase like God showed up at that experience. God showed up at that worship service. God really showed up in that relationship with somebody I'm trying to reconcile with. And it's not that I don't think that God shows up because God is definitely present. But the real question is not if God's going to show up, right? The question is, are we going to show up to God? God is moving and active and doing things all around us. The spirit of Jesus is moving amongst us. The kingdom of God is in our midst. The question is, are we going to show up to God? Not is God going to show up to us? So what does it look like for us to say, I want to show up to what the Holy Spirit might be doing in both expected and unexpected times? And, and we see that they, they were trying to figure this out as they went, right? A phrase that we've heard in Acts. It seems good to us in the Holy Spirit, just trying to figure it out one day at a time. So then third, experimenting can help us discern one step at a time. Experimenting can help us discern one step at a time. I'm convinced that one of the best ways we can discern along the way, or sometimes I say discernment through movement, like I said, the best way we can do that is experimenting. That's really what I built uh, the book Make a Move on because I've just recognized how powerful the idea of experimenting can be. And I've got a bunch of experiments in that book about how to make decisions and discern the way the Holy Spirit is leading us. So, I mean, we're taking a page from like the scientific method and I'm not a scientist. So if you are, feel free to let me know if I kind of get this wrong, but I'm just trying to boil down the scientific method and say in these steps, these five steps that I've kind of, you know, I kind of see, and and I see the the people in scripture living through these five steps. Within those steps, does that create space for us to discern what the Holy Spirit might be saying and doing? Instead of just kind of a sense of like vaguely wondering what the Holy Spirit's doing, can following these steps actually help us do this intentionally? So here's the five steps of experimenting, okay? The the first one is to define your question. What question are you actually asking or hoping to ask? The second is to do your research. The third is to determine what is the first experiment that you're going to do to figure out how to answer this question. The fourth is to name the steps of your experiment so you know what you're going to do next. And the fifth is to analyze and review. Okay, so let me go back through these talking about the story that we just read in Acts. Define your question. What was the question that they were trying to ask? ask? Step one. The question was, where is God calling us to, to go next when it comes to sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus? They had that question and they didn't know the answer to it. The second thing is to do your research. Do you ever notice when you're reading through the book of Acts that when when Paul and Peter and others come into cities, it says that they go to marketplaces and they go to kind of community spaces and they're talking to people and they're listening. This is the way that we research, right? We pay attention to what's going on and, and looking around. And so they would do that. They, they would wonder about the different cultures. When we follow the stories, you can pay attention to that when you read in the book of Acts. So they did their research. Third, determine your first experiment. Well, we heard a few experiments in Acts 16, uh, right? The first one to go to the province of Asia, the next one to go to Mysia and Binthia. And both of those experiments, as they took the steps, the many steps to get to those locations, determined this is not the right place to go. But they were experiments, right? And then the fifth step is to analyze and review. 
Well, now we don't see this in the story all the time, but you can imagine that if people are journeying together with each other every day, that they would get together at night and they would just kind of analyze, well, you know, when we saw hologram Jesus, once again, hologram Jesus is not technically in the text, but whatever, the spirit of Jesus, not letting us go. When they were discussing what it meant to them that the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go into the city they were planning on, you can imagine they were analyzing it and reviewing it. And then what did they do next? They start the experiment all over again. Experimenting our way into the future that God has for us as individuals, as families, as communities, and as churches. Doing these five steps will help us to not always have a roadmap, but to move intentionally looking for the ways that the Holy Spirit might be leading us one step at a time, one experiment at a time, open to what God might be saying as we take each step and as we step into each experiment. What would this look like for you to take these intentional steps uh, with experimenting? For my church, I I can't even tell you how many times this process of experimenting has caused us to end up doing things that never would have been on a strategic plan uh, the place that we worship at is a is a local school. It, that was not a part of the strategic plan, but experiments led us there and it has been a game changer for 13 years. When we think about uh, the building that we bought, I'm in, I'm in our midweek space that we have, a building during the week and we worship at a school on Sundays. Uh, experiment after experiment led us to buy this building from an old construction company. Not exactly what you would have had on a strategic plan. Figure out if we can buy a building from a construction company that doesn't need it anymore. I mean, it just wouldn't have been. But the experimenting led us to this place. We've had two church plants, uh, a church that planted really close to us, actually, where we sent 30 people and finances over for this new church to start. We're now uh, planting a Spanish-speaking church here in the Twin Cities as well. And, And same, it wasn't a part of the strategic plan. But as we experimented with what God was telling us to do and we were open, God questions we would ask, like, God, what do you want us to do with these this influx of people that have come? Do you want us to just have a bigger church or should we start another church? That was our question. Experiments took place. And now there's three church communities instead of just one. I can tell you stories and stories and stories about how God has led us to experiment our way into what God is calling us to do. Uh, one important, uh, you know, I won't tell you the whole story, but right, um, I'd say in 2019, We started to feel like as a community, hey, there's so many things going on in the world, as you know. How are we going to respond as a community to the to the everything from natural disasters to actions of injustice in the world? How are we going to respond? And as a community, we spent a whole year talking about this. And we kind of developed our process, which we call repent, lament, and act. Repent, lament, and act. This is our our three-step process. And man, it was so crazy how it took that whole year, but by the end of that year, we were ready with this process and what that meant for us to live out those three things, repent, lament, and act. And we didn't know what was coming in 2020. And we didn't know what was coming in 2021. But that was so key that we experimented to figure out this question that we had, which is how do we respond to the injustices that are happening in our world so consistently? We're in the middle of an experiment right now, and I I won't tell you that whole story either, but where we're figuring out how do we respond to the housing and the homelessness crisis that we see happening in our city right now in Minneapolis. I mean, you wouldn't even believe it because we're up here in the Midwest, but Minneapolis has the, 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 the housing shortage that we have is now the worst in the nation. The worst housing shortage for affordable housing is happening in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Worse than LA, worse than Denver, worse than Seattle. Wouldn't you? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. And so we have this question, right? First step one, God, how are you inviting us to join in what's happening 
in our city in regards to housing crisis and homelessness issues that are happening. I mean, it's a, it's a huge deal. And so we've been doing our research. We in we um, interviewed 30 different organizations that are doing work amongst the housing and homelessness crisis in our city and asked questions and just listened. And you know what we learned when uh, 30 different church people started asking questions and listening? We heard from people that church people don't always listen so well. Hmm, interesting. That church people sometimes come in with a lot of ideas and don't even know what they're talking about and haven't done a lot of listening. That was an important part of that research for us, wasn't it? We also learned things like, uh, youth and young adults, that if they are experienced being unhoused for 30 days, more than 30 days before they turn 24, the likelihood that they're going to be chronically homeless, homeless is significantly increased. But if a young adult person that between 18 and 24 is kept off the street and back housed in less than 30 days, the likelihood that they will be chronically homeless significantly decreases. And so now we're asking these questions again. Okay, well, God, what would you have us do? And we are beginning to discover that there might be some partnerships where there can be accessory dwelling units in some of our backyards where young adults who would otherwise be homeless could live in our yards. And we can partner in these ways. I mean, it's crazy. But none of this would have been a part of the strategic plan. It was all because we are listening and responding and trying to say, okay, experiment one step at a time. Holy Spirit, we don't know. And we run into spots where we say, oh, the Holy Spirit's not letting us go here. And we run into other spots where we say, well, the Spirit of Jesus, you know, I haven't seen hologram Jesus, but the Spirit of Jesus is not letting us step into this space. But this is so critical that we figure out how to step into this as a church. And I encourage you, and I just want to, to pray for you, Icon Community Church, what does it look like to experiment your way into the future that God has for you so that you will be good news and continue to be good news to the communities around you? Why church? Because the church intentionally following the lead of the Holy Spirit will be good news to the world around them. And all of us in the church have the ability to listen to God and to try to discern how God might be leading us, but also the church, our church. I wonder what God is up to in the midst of Icon Community Church, because it's something. It's something. God has already shown up. Are we going to show up to God? I believe that the future that God has for you is within each of you, that God's going to speak to you, that God's going to give you visions and dreams at expected and unexpected times. And one experiment at a time, you will step into God's preferred future for your community. And I'm grateful that I might get to hear some of those stories and be witness of that. Because the church of Jesus, the church of Jesus can be good news to the world around us. People of love and restoration and peace and justice and hope. What good news that sounds like to the watching world. Why church? Because the church intentionally following the lead of the Holy Spirit will be good news to the world around them. Let me pray for you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for Icon Community Church. I thank you for the opportunity to share this word with them today, even from far away. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be leading, guiding every step of the way that folks would not lose heart when they feel like they hit a, 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 your spirit saying no, that when they hit a closed door, that they would not lose heart, but they would keep one step, one experiment at a time, discerning through movement how you might have them join you in the work of restoration you're doing in this world and how that will be good news to the world that you love, Jesus. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.